Hello everyone and welcome to this Innovation Forum webinar about insects and protein and animal feed and regulation and innovation. I'm delighted that you're all able to join us today. I'm Toby Webb, I'm founder of Innovation Forum. We are a sort of grandly titled platform for change. We, we don't really know what that means, but it sounds good. Uh, but what we think it might mean is that we have a community of tens of thousands of global sustainability executives or sustainability executives globally, um, NGOs, academics, governments, lots of people, um, including my elderly uncle who's retired, um, he loves our stuff. So there's you know a, a broad spectrum, but we're, because we're very focused on business, we tend to get a business you know, and a business solutions orientated crowd. And so today what we wanted to do in partnership with BSI is discuss some of the issues around how we scale and innovate around animal feed um, and around uh, the future of protein. So that's our objective without slides. Um, and, and we've done other things on this and we do lots of conferences um, and research projects uh, and stakeholder engagement work and so on. I won't bore you with all the details, but suffice to say, you can find more about this beyond this webinar from us just on the Innovation Forum website or by signing up to our weekly radio show uh, or by going to our podcast channel. So those are all things you can do afterwards while you're listening to the recording for this. Uh, and in the meantime, let's get started. So I'm going to ask our esteemed Zoom panel to introduce themselves very, very briefly, um, name, rank and serial number. Uh, and then I'm going to ask them to talk about the enabling environment, the regulatory environment for, for scaling insects as, as, uh, as protein. And then we, talk, we hope to talk a bit more in a bit more depth about how we get there. Um, obviously, the regulatory side is key, but it's not the only key. Uh, there are many others. So let's talk about how business and suppliers and those around can also help make uh, animal protein uh, a more sustainable reality. And then we're going to have questions. Um, so when you have questions, put them in the Q&A function, please. Q&A, bottom right-hand corner of Zoom. Don't mix it up with the leave button. Uh, that's in red. But Q&A, uh, put them in there, and then you can vote on each other's questions, as I've said, and I can ask the best ones to the panel. So let's start with some introductions. Um, I shall pick a random panelist to begin with. Cindy, um, thank you for joining us. Best background of all panelists. Well done. Uh, tell us tell us about yourself and Scout and Zoe's, and then we'll go to Sarah and Adrian, uh, and then to Arnold. I'm Cindy Dunstan-Quirk, the founder and chief dog lover of Scout and Zoe's, located in the Midwest in the United States. So we have our niche as novel proteins, and we were first to market with black soldier fly larva products for pets. Uh, and we'll get into how that works and everything, but uh, we've, been, we've been in the black soldier fly realm since uh, 2019. So we're pretty universally, we dove in head first, and now we're the pioneer and the innovator. Excellent. And I'm not going to make any fly puns at any point, you know. There are yeah, many, we're many... about it. <laughs> yeah, we can drop them in. Feel free to put them into the Q&A if you've got a good pun. Um, Sarah, uh, over to you. Uh, BSI, your work. Do tell us. Yes, yeah, so I'm Sarah Walton and I work for uh, the British Standards Institution, which is BSI, which is the uh, national standards body for the UK and also um, a member, a founding member of, of ISO, which is the International 
standardization organization and um, my my role as as, as lead for the agri-food sector is to work with um, those in the sector and also their stakeholders so consumers um, government and other others who have uh, an interest in the area uh, with uh, around the, the challenges for the food sector and how how to develop something to support and um and ensure that, they, that they, these things are, are solved in the long run. Um, obviously, there's not one solution, but standards are, are what we do, and that's our, our, our area of bread and butter. And although I don't have a good uh, background, I do notice that I managed to find my, my mug, which has uh, which actually matches my, my dress and is, in fact, a BS mug. So there you go, the British standard for Pantones. Excellent. Well, it's clearly worked in your case. So, well done. A useful standard, proven already. Thank you, Zara. Um, Adrian, uh, tell us uh, about yourself and Fira, briefly, if you don't mind. Uh, you are on mute, just to remind you. I think I've come off now. So, um, I'm Major in Charlton. Um, I work at Farrah. I'm the principal scientist at Farrah. Um, I'm a protein biochemist by background, and um, I work within the food programme. Farrah is an organisation that's um, partially owned by the UK government, by, by DEFRA. Um, we've had a, a long-standing history um, looking at sustainable sources of protein. And um, we've, we've really led the way in terms of insect protein and, and particularly around um, safety and quality aspects of, of, of protein coming out of, um, of insect farming. Um, so I've, I've got, a, because of the link to, to government, obviously I have a very good um, grip of the, the UK regulations, but I've also been involved with organisations such as EFSA and the European Food Safety Authority and globally with, with the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organisation. So um, have a reasonably good handle of the, of the global picture in relation to insects as food and feed. Great, Adrian, thank you. Arnold, last but by no means least, tell us about yourself and your work. Yeah, uh, my name is Arnold van Huis. Uh, I am a tropical entomologist from Wageningen University in the Netherlands. Uh, well, from origin, um, I worked on crop protection, um, first in Nicaragua and afterwards in Niger. Uh, for eight Sahelian countries. Uh, so I'm really an integrated, integrated pest management specialist and a biocontrol specialist from origin. However, um, when I joined Wageningen University, uh, then in 1995, I, I did a sabbatical in, in Africa, and that was about, well, partly about edible insects, and then started my interest. Uh, I joined FEO in 2010, and uh, maybe you know that we wrote a book on edible insects, which was downloaded millions of times. And I think this was really a game changer, uh, because since then, uh, the number of scientific publications really went up uh, exponentially. Also, we organized in 2014 uh, the first uh, Insects to Feed the World conference, by the way, in 10 days' time, there will be the next conference in Quebec, in Canada. Um, so maybe some of you will be there. Um, I retired in 2015, but, well, uh, it only means that I have now all the time in the world to work on edible insects, uh, partly as chief editor of the Journal of Insects as Food and Feed, but also I still write articles. Uh, I organize a, a training summer school, on edible insects and give numerous presentations uh, uh, outside the Netherlands and inside. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Arnold. Um, fascinating. Well, we look forward to all of your insights. What we thought we'd do, as I mentioned, is discuss the regulatory enabling environment for, for a little while. 
then move into scale and innovation as they are sort of linked uh, and then get some audience Q&A's and so on. I see some people are putting questions in already. Thank you, David Marioni, for going first. We'll come to you. Uh, even if you don't get lots of votes for your question, because you went first, we will use yours. So thank you. If you want to add more, um, this time we have together now will go really fast. So don't wait until the last 10 minutes, because I will run out of time and I'll panic and start speaking really fast and then cutting off all the speakers and that'll be no good. So get your questions in now uh, and then we can get try and get as many as possible answered. So let's talk about the, the enabling environment. Um, let's start with the UK. Um, and uh, and what's happening there. Adrian, let me turn to you first, um, and perhaps then we can turn to Sarah to talk about the role of standards as linked to that. Then we'll come over to, to Arnold to talk about the EU point of view and then go over to Cindy. So Adrian, tell us what's happening at the moment um, with regard to allowing this to happen at scale or at least enabling or encouraging the development of insects as, as a protein source, Adrian. I think it um, falls into two different categories, um, insects as food and insects as feed, because the legislation is very different in the UK, depending on which, which um, market you're aiming for. There's also um, other sectors such as pet food to consider. Um, but I think that the, the main category of insects as feed, um, as, as we consider it in, U, in the UK, um, because of the, the potential market size, is, is mainly governed by um, animal feed legislation. Um, and we have a fairly, fairly cautious approach in the UK, mainly um, because of issues in the past with things such as BSE. So we have we have a whole load of um, legislation around TSE, um, transmissible spongiform and cleptopropylopathy. Um, and that that's um, that's to, to prevent um, animal protein from enter, entering the um, supply chain inadvertently because that was that was largely the cause of, of BSE from having um, uncontrolled animal protein in, in the animal feed sector. So the legislative environment at the moment permits the use of insects, for, for aquaculture, for feeding to fish. Um, but at present, we haven't carried over um, the, the change in EU legislation, which permits insects for use in poultry and, and pig diets. Um, that's still under consideration. Um, the, the legislators are, are looking at that very closely. Um, but the main missing piece of the jigsaw really is, is the, the safety evidence to prove that, that, that no inadvertent um, problems are going to be introduced by allowing insects into into the, the wider animal feed chain now we have we have a lot of data um it just it just isn't complete and certainly what we don't have is the the history of use of insects and um that again probably t and sarah up here that's where standards can be important really um that the, 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 the industry takes control of itself to um to set standards to make sure those safety issues are addressed um to to allow legislators to be comfortable with what's being sold in the marketplace so that, that's feed. Um, there, there, there are lots more different aspects of that. So if there are any specific questions, I'm happy to, to consider those. Um, for, Thank you. for food, um, we, we have a whole different set of legislation, which is um, around novel foods. So insects have been deemed, deemed to be novel foods, um, and it's, it's beholden on the producers and to, to apply in the UK it's to the Food Standards Agency, in Europe it's to, to EFSA, um, for a, a, a license effectively to be able to sell insects as, food, as food. Um, as far as we're aware from, from our colleagues at the FSA, um, there's been little uptake in the UK for people applying for those licences. Um, but again, that, that's a, a process that's very well documented um, and people can find that on the internet. Or again, you know, if, if there are specific questions, I can, I can address those here. 
Okay, thank you. I think we'll park the, the human food aspect for another discussion and focus on animal feed here. I did hear that Sainsbury's bravely put some some crickets on some shelves and then took them off again. Um, but we'll, 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 try, uh, we'll try and focus on animal feed here. A quick follow-up question on that, Adrian. Uh, we, the Conservative government we have and the ministers love to talk about a bonfire of EU regulations. I mean, this week it's been going back to pounds and ounces, which you know, let's not even go down that particular uh, road. But um, the bonfire of regulations they've talked about around gene editing, for example, they seem very keen on. So why, why are we not seeing announcements on this because it seems to me it'd be a similar sort of area for them is it because defra has said to them we haven't just finished off complete review of all the science and let's not forget bse which obviously lingers long in the british psyche what what's the hold up and when do you see that being unlocked i think um the the, the main reason is that the, the animal feed industry in the uk is incredibly well organized um and and they will want to take a a very cautious approach to this. So I don't think it would be particularly welcome to, to tear up all the legislation that's been very carefully put in place since the BSE crisis. So I don't think that'd be a popular move with the industry. And I don't think it'd be a popular move with, with consumers either, who are, are vaguely aware of um, you know, the impact of using meat and bone meal and that sort of thing in, in animal diets. So I think that there's a political aspect, but there's also very much a safety aspect to it. Okay, and just another follow-up, and there'll be more. What is that safety concerned? I mean, is there has there been a clear warning that this could lead to this? I mean, it's very different for BSE, isn't it? I mean, very different, surely. It it is, um, but again, we have to have overarching legislation to give them the whole um, animal feed chain. The, the safety issues specifically to to insects um, are just really making the checks and balances that we would normally do for any type of animal feed ingredient. Um, so it's things such as looking at the heavy metal content, looking at the microbial load, um, insects living in some fairly dangerous environments. And, and particularly, actually, that one of the major things that needs check-in is, is the waste streams that are being used to feed the insects. It doesn't, the whole thing doesn't make any economical sense unless um, we're using waste that couldn't go directly into the animal feed chain. Um, so some of the waste streams that are being proposed um, as, as animal feed for, for, for insects um, is, 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 is quite difficult. The, the, other, the other aspect is that insects are, are, are treated in exactly the same way as pigs, cows, chickens, whatever else you might want to consider. They're, they're, con they're considered as farmed livestock. Um, so everything that applies to feed into a cow applies to feed into a chicken. Uh, sorry, applies to feed into an insect that can then be fed to, to a chicken. Um, so it's, it's, it's quite a complicated situation. And again, I think there's a cautious approach being taken um, even though it, it is different, there, there is a will to try and um, reduce the amount of red tape from, from within government in particular. Um, but I think that the cautious approach is the right one for now. OK, we'll talk later about the role of business in perhaps encouraging things to move faster and whether or not that's advisable and possible. But let's park that for now. Adrian, thank you. Sorry, let me turn to you from the, the British context. Still, I know BSI is pretty international. Um, interested to hear your views on how standards can support this, the, the, this, the growth in this area and, and any other comments you have initially. Well, actually, I was just going to um, pick up what you just said there on the role of business, because, of course, um, as Adrian said, that there are you know, businesses who are working in you know, producing animal feed um, and they they have already 
established some fairly rigorous processes because of course there, because there has always been this legislation and this, this background of, of, of regulatory need to ensure safety and and so and, and safety in the food chain or safety in, um, and hygiene um, and those things are are things that because they they've, these practices have grown up for the for these businesses that is where standards sort of can can really help to um, to sort of raise the raise the profile, give more awareness to those best practices in place, um, and ensure that 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 this is recognised in a much more uh, broad environment, so that everybody can see that 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 all of the stakeholders to, to this area, including the regulators, including business, including those who are cons consumers in this. Um, whether those are you know, the, the businesses taking taking the feed and and selling it on, or the, the end consumers, those those are the stakeholders who need to come together to agree that this is exactly what good looks like, um, based on what is already being done, obviously um, in in the you know, in the in the industry itself, but also to to sort of systemize that so that it in some way gives it that um, gives it the reassurance for or gives gives credibility and reassurance to to the to the whole market as well as the regulators and that's what that's where standards would come in that's how they would support the um the, the growth of, of of an industry by enable it to scale up much more effectively um by you know ensuring that there, there were opportunities for those who are involved in in developing a systematic process to do this that could therefore be recognized by more than you know by, by everybody who is entering into into the market great thank you well let's tie it together perhaps more at the end by coming back to you and talking about how everything <clears throat> we've heard be useful in a standard development process that could benefit a business of course we can address it in the meantime as well cindy if there's someone there behind you or near you clanging and banging if you could ask them to uh, desist that would be great there's uh, some New noise pollution there while you were talking i'm not sure what's happening in the background but if you can uh, ask them to be quiet that'd be great um so we'll come back to the standards bit because there's a lot to talk about there um arnold while we're while we're close to to europe we're unfortunately still not not back in uh, so we're just slightly different and perhaps diverging regulatory environment at the moment tell us uh, about the sort of eu perspective on this is there one um, will we see countries diverge or is it they're going to be a unified approach? Quite interested to know about that. And your other views on this initial topic of the sort of enabling and regulatory environment. So Arnold, welcome and, uh, and over to you. Well, it's important to mention the uh, international platform of insects as food and feed, which is a real professional organization representing about 80 companies in Europe. And uh, well, they came, they didn't come together because they like each other so much, but really they knew that legislation was one of the main problems uh, to, to, to tackle. And um, well, they have been very instrumental. Uh, of course, for pets, it has been allowed to use insects, but for fish, they were able to get the authorization from the European Union in 2017. And last year, um, it is now allowed the processed animal proteins for uh, for uh, fi for uh, pet for um, poultry and for pigs. Uh, so uh, that is uh, well. First, it's the EFSA, the European Food Safety Authority, 
which uh, makes an opinion for the European Union and then the European Union uh, decides. Uh, on the website of IPIF, you can read exactly what the regulations are, both for food and for feed. But I must say that this uh, last year and this year has been really instrumental in getting a number of authorizations. Uh, so I think we are uh, we are on the right track. Great. And, and what sort of time scale do you see as possible for where you would like things to get to? Um, I mean, are you advocating, uh, as Adrian mentioned, a more cautious approach? Are you advocating for let's go, let's go big on this? I mean, what's the level of appropriate ambition, uh, and what do you see as happening then? as a consequence of, of that or other factors on the regulatory side? Well, I can tell you that EFSA uh, really takes their time. It takes really uh, uh, several years before they approve of something. So it, it's really not that easy. But it depends where you're talking about. Fats has been allowed, insect fat, uh, to feed to all kinds of animals uh, without any problem. The insect proteins, that was a problem. But, uh, well, since uh, last year and this year, it has been allowed. Um, and of course, it also depends, uh, and that was Adrian was mentioned that, mentioning that as well, the, the, what are you feeding the insects? If you have waste streams, you have to be careful uh, because uh, it's not allowed to use catering waste, for example, or to use manure. That may also uh, change in future, uh, especially if you talk about manure, well, a lot of people say it's, it may be a problem. Uh, well, uh, Adrian knows as well that they can, like uh, fly can accumulate heavy metals. But the question is if, if manure really has uh, the, the, um, the uh, heavy metals. So I think that is something really uh, to consider to use uh, BSF, for example, on manure, because we have a huge problem in Europe and especially in the Netherlands. Uh, with manure, especially the nitrogen emissions. It, it stops really build, uh, construction projects in the Netherlands. Uh, so it, it's a huge problem. And there was a, a publication from my university, I think just a few weeks ago, which indicated that the black soldier fly can incorporate nitrogen into the larvae. So they can diminish the nitrogen problem. So I think that is something in the future to look at very carefully. Thank you. Very interesting. Um, there's lots of great questions coming in uh, around all of this. So we'll come back to, uh, to to much of what's been discussed so far. But before we do that, let's head across the Atlantic and hear from Cindy. Um, so, Cindy, you, you got there pretty early with black soldier flies for pet food in the US. You were telling us you I think you launched in November. Was it November 2019? Um, what's happening now? What's happened since then? What are you allowed to do or not allowed to do? How is it different from what you've just heard? Very keen to know. It's um, it's progressing. The um, There's a, an organization in the United States called the Association of American Feed Control that puts out the regulations to uh, feed industry and to the pet industry for what are acceptable ingredients and what are not. And black soldier fly uh, larva has been approved for use in uh, dog or canine food and treats in 2021, in August of 2021. And it's also been approved, the oil has been approved, the black soldier fly larva oil has been approved for use in swine 
and fish food, but crickets and a bunch of other insects are not approved there. So it's, we have a ways to go. I think Europe um, might be a little bit ahead of us, but um, we're getting there because slowly but surely the regulations are changing to where um, more sustainable types of uh, insects can be used in feed instead of uh, just regular corn and soybean because uh, as we all know in the global economy now, the global environment, those are gonna be a little bit hard to come by and extremely expensive. So farmers and growers are looking for alternative sources to uh, lessen the burden of feeding their, their animals that feed us. Right, and again, if I ask you for a bit of crystal balling, you know, how do you how do you see if you have an investor who came to you and said, right, you're the future, Cindy. I want to give you a hundred million um, in investment. What's what's your prognosis for where we'll be in five years from where you are today? What would you say? I think it'll be generally accepted. Right now, as far as pet food goes, uh, I mean, we have the the products uh, on our website. We we're a wholesale. A company as well, so we sell to the pet industry. I think that the in the pet world, it's coming along. We have to get over the owners, the pet owners, having that ick ick factor when they see a, a bag of bugs. They kind of go, "Ooh, I, I don't want to feed my dog that," but the dogs are eating that in their yard anyway. And as far as the the feed industry goes, I think it's going to be huge because it's very sustainable. The cost of these um, black soldier flies is not huge. It's not as much as soybeans and corn. Um, and they're so much more sustainable that I think that I would tell the investor, I'd, I'd have a great story to tell them and all of the data to back it up to where, you know, I'd take that hundred million and we'd probably make it 500 or 10 hundred million. Well, that's great to hear. Well, why don't we move into the that side of things, you know, scaling the approaches. It certainly sounds like there's a way to go on the science side. We have to be careful about unintended consequences. We talked about heavy metal, the potential for heavy metal buildup in, in black soldier flies. Um, if we Are there any other unintended consequences that are becoming perhaps more apparent as we look to scale and, and innovate here? Um, just so we get it all out <laughs> that we know about. Adrian, coming back to you, you mentioned the heavy metal bill. What are the other risks to scale uh, which we need to be which need to be balanced with that more cautious approach you said the UK is taking? I think the main challenge for scaling insect production is is securing the waste streams to feed them on um, in, in, in a way that we we can ensure the the integrity of those waste streams. So if we look at the the, the um, animal feed sector, it, it's dealing mainly in in commodities. so, um, bulk buying maize and, and, and soybean and that sort of thing. So to provide insects at that kind of scale, we're going to need an awful lot of insect feed. And, and the problem at the moment is that we, we don't really have a clear map of where that, that waste sits. And until we have that map and we have the information around the, the safety of, of that feedstock, um, then it's going to be very challenging to make a, a, an impact on the global scale. Um, so, you know, Arnold's mentioned that we, we can't use catering waste and and there's a good reason for that, because we, we don't really know what's in catering waste. We could be introducing problems that we don't know know about, and particularly if there's there's meat in that catering waste and we're, we're introducing some of the problems of the past um, in, in relation to, to BSE and, and what have you. Um, so we are looking mainly at vegetative waste streams at the moment um, and securing those and, and understanding those 
and actually optimizing the growth of the, the insects on those feeds um, are, are, are major challenges. And you know, whilst I'm not an entomologist, I'm fairly fairly close to this. I'm sure, sure other other people could comment better than I can. Um, you know, the, the feed conversion ratios of, of getting um, the protein out of the insects from low value waste streams is, is a big challenge, and, and that's a that's a farming challenge really. It's, it's, it's having the expertise to, to farm the insects well um, to meet the quality criteria that's required for the animal feed sector, and, and that's the other aspect actually of the, the, the waste streams. Will the will the waste provide sufficient nutrition um, to pr pr produce a good quality protein product to go into the animal feed sector? So I think I think a lot of this is about about the the feedstock for the insects. Yeah, Arnold, you look like you're nodding there. Do, um, do you think it's going to be possible for us to use food waste? Because we do a lot of conferences on this stuff. There's so much of it about. And, you know, there's an awful lot of Greek greenhouse gas emissions being produced. Uh, and uh, you know, there's only so much compost we can make. So is that, the, is that one of the keys here on the feedstock side? Well, if you, if you think about the problems for uh, insects as pig or, or uh, as feed for pigs or poultry, it's the price uh, that is one of the main hurdles. If you look now at how much of the insect products are going in which kind of animal, it are pets. More than 50% of all the uh, insects produced are going into pets. And about 20% uh, I think is aqua feed. That will change in 10 years time. It will be more aqua feed than, uh, than, uh, uh, than uh, pets. But uh, of course, poultry and pigs, that stays behind. It would be better if we would eat the insects directly instead of using uh, a second conversion factor that is through the animals. But anyway, that is a consumer acceptance problem. Uh, but it would be much better uh, be because everybody understands eating the insects directly or going through, let's say, the, uh, the poultry or pigs, uh, that makes it much more expensive. So the price is a problem. And then uh, it could be okay if you use uh, organic waste streams. But then, of course, food safety issues may come into play. But you see a lot of articles now on using different kinds of waste streams. What is very interesting also is the role of microorganisms. The role of microorganisms in the gut of the insect, but also on the substrate. Uh, so you have to play with not only with the insect, but also with the microorganisms. And you can also ferment, let's say, the, uh, let's say straw. You can ferment it first with fungi and then feed it to the black soldier fly. So you, very low value side streams are very important to get the price down. And what's it going to take it to make a dent in, on deforestation. I'm interested on any of the comments, any of the panel's comments on this. This is one of the drivers for Tesco and WWF to team up. We, we were doing a bit of work on this with them and, and creating this fund to try and drive in, in innovation to get animal, to get insects into animal feed for for the retailers. So any thoughts on, on any, any aspects there? I'd be interested to hear your views. No, um, I'm still unmuted. So, uh, um uh, let's say soy is really a problem of deforestation uh, so i think if you talk about the feed the current feed for those animals it's mainly soy and it's fish meal but soy has too many problems one of them is uh, 
is deforestation, but also biodiversity loss, human rights violations, etc. Fish meal, I think we have reached now the ceiling of uh, fish meal, so we can't continue. We have to change. And fish meal also is very much disputed because uh, of, um, let's say, that we can use that fish also for human consumption. Uh, so we have to change. Everybody is aware of this. And I think insects are a very good replacement. Okay, thank you. Sarah, let me come back to you on the, the role of standards encouraging innovation and scale here. What, what else would you like to add on that most important of areas? Um, well, I think one thing to, to note is that that standards are, um, you know, they're, they're not they're not fixed things. They're not sort of they, they don't sort of appear and then they never change. So they so one so they they can they can keep pace with with innovation and change. So and also support structures that are already in place, such as you know the other levers, such as regulation and and the safe practices that people are already using. Um, but I would say in, in, an, in an early area such as this, in innovation, um, you know, where, where people are still experimenting and changing and doing new things, it's always very important to start by, by road mapping what it is is going to be required in order to help uh, an industry to grow and to, to, to scale up. Um, there are things that, that, you know, we talked about unintended consequences. Those are the sorts of things that... Um, that people need to sort of have a have a chance to really sort of think through in a in a sort of systems thinking environment, as it were, before you even start to think about what is the standard that should be supporting this work. Um, you, you need to be able to to have that sort of roadmap almost. With, with, with BSI, have done uh, work with with um, with regulatory bodies on things such as industrial biotechnology roadmaps. So you know, what is the regulatory framework that's going to be required to support Industrial biotechnology, which which would include agritech, for example, um, you, you know, doing things such as using waste stock from distilleries to support algae growth, um, which would be an omega-rich source of algae, omega-3-rich source, which would therefore not be, which would obviate the need to use fish stocks in the future, for example, and that so that is the sort of um, you know, that is part of the the agritech sort of industrial biotechnology. Um, into that, but it is something that that you can see. You need to think about well, how you know how do we support that to, to grow and scale up? What what is what needs to be think, thought through? Uh, what what are the definitions? What are the words we're using? What are, what are we actually meaning when we say these things um, about the process and about the system or about the the feed? So that everybody who is engaging in this work. Can, can all agree what it is and therefore get engaged in it and move it forward and, and bridge that gap between the research and, and scaling it into a, a viable industry going forward. Thanks, Sarah. Um, Cindy, anything else you'd, you'd like to add at this stage on, on the scaling up and the innovation side over the next few years? I know we, we had some discussion about it earlier, but if you wanted to bring it, if the previous points had inspired anything you'd like to say, uh, now's the time. Well, I think that um, much to Sarah's point, uh, along with um, y'all over there, over here, we still need to work on the definitions uh, because what, what are the acceptable insects to go into the feed and in what quantities and in what form 
whether it's the frass uh, in fertilizer or uh, the, the exoskeletons or whether they're live larvae or crickets or whatever the insect is, the definitions still haven't been clearly defined, um, especially like with crickets. They, they're just, there's a lot of discussion, but there's nothing set in stone yet. And I think that over the course of time, back to that crystal ball for the next five years, um, five years from now, our, our conversation with this panel and to the participants will be quite different because it's um, in five years time, the definitions will be set. Um, bugs will be, insects, not bugs, will be more acceptable uh, in the human chain for human consumption, as well as for animal feed. So I think that it's, it's a matter of time before it comes mainstream, but the challenge is getting those definitions set so that the producers globally can um, ratchet up their, their production because the production can be there. It's just the, the demand is not yet. And it, it's coming, but it's, it's an education process. Thank you. Just before we turn to audience Q&A, and we've got some very good questions, some quite technical ones, but some very good questions. Um, other, we've talked about the UK, we talked about the EU, we talked about the US. Um, there are lots of other regions of the world where I've met people make, making insect protein from, from, uh, from waste streams, which from what you said would not be allowed where, where we are. Um, where are the innovations happening? Where do we see something really interesting happening over the next few years, whether or not it's allied with the current regulatory environment that you've discussed or not? Are there any regions, hot spots of the world where we're seeing great innovation? Anyone like to, to name a, a country or region where they're seeing some interesting activity? Uh, I guess Arnold, you might have something to say here, given you have a journal on all this. Uh, I would say um, the innovations are worldwide. If you look at, uh, at, at the European countries, they have received up till now 1 billion euro uh, on investments, and they expect up till 2030 about 3 billion euros. Uh, so there is a lot of innovation going on. Uh, besides, if you look at the scientific publications on edible insects, in the last five years, have, have about 80 to 90% of all publications ever published on edible insects. So it, it's enormous. It, it is almost an exponential increase on scientific publications. So a lot is going on. One of the issues I still want to mention, uh, because chitin was mentioned, um, if maybe the insect products may be a bit more expensive, if there are also health issues involved. And it has been indicated that chitin especially uh, stimulates the immune system um, and has a lot of other uh, beneficial effects, both for humans, but also for animals. So I think that's another issue to consider. Thank you. Any other further comments on other geographies where things are taking place, which are interesting? Anyone before we move on? You don't have to. Okay. I'm not seeing any, so let's uh, let's go to Q and A. Uh, David Marioni asked the first question, and so I said I would answer his question. It's also the most popular. So, well done, David. Uh, so he says, as a practitioner, I've discovered that BSFL, I assume that's black soldier flies, fit into a holistic approach. Agri waste to anaerobic digestion produces sludge, which can be fed to back to BSFLs, um, and BSFL. 
Frass, I assume that's a thing, Frass, may be advantageous to improve, to improve AD. The outputs of renewable energy, fertilizer, etc., are advantaged in this application. Uh, is anyone like Wagoning and working with this or other holistic approaches? So I appreciate that's quite a complicated question for those of us who are not technical experts. But if someone would like to tackle it in a way that we can all understand, that would be appreciated. Uh, Cindy, you've just given me an explanation for some of that. Perhaps I can bring you in first and then maybe go back over to Arnold and then to I Adrian, think, maybe. Sorry. I think Arnold's probably the better uh, uh, person most uh, able to answer that question, but FRAS is the waste of the black soldier fly larva. And in the United States, it's used for fertilizer. So it's, uh, I mean, that's the great thing about black soldier flies is that they are, they're eating waste, they're more sustainable, they're eating waste that's meant for the landfills, they emit less carbon gases, they don't use any water uh, to grow, and they grow vertically instead of horizontally. So. That's probably not the answer to this question, but Arnold, I'll defer to you. Okay. Um, well, it's indeed very interesting, the frass as fertilizer, because it's not only fertilizer. Uh, it was, uh, that was also a publication by my university about, I think, one month ago. Uh, it got a lot of publicity that the frass not only uh, works as a stimulant for growth, but it's also protecting the plants. And the protection of the plants go through microorganisms in the soil. So I think that is a, a very new insight, which is also very interesting. So it seems that uh, the chitin not only um, is interesting for a health perspective for humans and for animals, but even for plants. Thank you. Um, Adrian, Sarah, anything else you want to add on this point, or we can just move on? Yeah, if you, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll address the, the point about anaerobic digestate, which is um, you know, a very common technique that's used for, for disposing of, of waste, particularly um, farmyard manures and, and even human human um, waste as well. Um, we, we have been doing a significant amount of work um, looking at using insects for bioconversion for, for, for non-food and feed reasons. Um, so that that's about waste management. And um, you asked about where innovation is happening. I mean, this is the sort of thing that... Um, people are looking at in, in less developed countries where it may be a bit more challenging to, to process human waste. And the, there is a, a use of, of, um, of fly larvae in particular um, to process that, that waste without the intent of feeding that to, to animals. Um, and one of the things that we have found is that yes, there is a, um, a holistic approach that could be taken here where anaerobic digestion can be used, used to generate methane, which is one of the major advantages of it. It produces fuel. Um, and that the slurry that's left after anaerobic digestion is still a a reasonable feedstock for, for insects. So there is a, a waste reduction process that involves um, linking together some of the some of the um, some of the technologies that are in place, but also introducing a, an insect bioconversion step as well. So circular flies. Yes. Not, not just in your living room, but also in your supply chain. Uh, okay, interesting. Um, We've got some other questions here. Um, I think we may have covered this one, but it is the most popular one. So I said I'd use it in terms of its popularity. Do you think it's too early to use BSF meal in poultry and fish feed? And it is very cost, as it is very cost sensitive, is pet food the industry that should be targeted first? I think we may have covered this to a certain degree, but anything further you want to add on that? You know, I guess one question you could take from this is, is pet food really where we should just be focusing so we can help get this right? But any, any thoughts from the panel? 
No, I think we've covered well, it. Here, here in the United States, it's been approved uh, for dogs in food and treats, but and and for feed in swine and fish, but it hasn't been approved for other species for pet food or for treats yet. And as that comes along, there will be huge demand because uh, the big pet food uh, industry like Mars and Purina and Hills, they're all uh, researching this now. And if, uh, I, in my opinion, I think that that's, that's kind of the proving ground because if we can make that transition to giving it to our animals, then it's just, it'll, it'll help the industry take off and it will scale because people love their pets and there's so many of them globally that um, the, the usage of the, the insect proteins could be tremendous. Okay, thank you. Anything further to add? I'm going to be fairly quick fire with this because we have a lot to get through. So if you don't have anything really insightful you want to say, there's no need to, to, to add something. Okay, I'll move on. There, there was a question from Tristan about feeding um, black soldier flies human waste, but I think given that we're not even talking about food waste being used, that's a long way off. Um, anything else anyone wants to add on that? He notes that there's a Ken, in Kenya there's a large company doing this fairly successfully. Uh, will the UK ever get there? Adrian, I imagine you'll say maybe a long way in the future, but let's sort out the food waste first. Is that what you would say? Uh, you're on mute, Adrian. The tension is building. What's he going to say? Okay, well, maybe we'll park that one then for now uh, and move on. Um, so, uh, Patrick had a good question. Patrick Durst. Uh, it would seem that the potential market for use of insects as aquaculture feed would be unlimited. Everything depends on cost of production, as Arnold mentioned earlier. Until now, however, it seems that insect meal producers have not been able to bring the cost down to compete with fish meal or soy. Yes, indeed. What are the constraints holding back the reduction of costs and scaling up production? Well, that's a very popular question. We have just spent 46 minutes, I think, addressing it to a certain degree. Uh, does anyone have anything else they want to add on that point? I'm going to start picking the most interesting questions rather than the ones that have the most votes because we seem to have covered quite a lot of ground already. Okay, uh, I think if there's nothing further to add on that, um, Arnold, uh, you're on mute. You're on mute, Arnold. The, the price will absolutely go down. There is a, a Rabo report uh, which stated that the price uh, in 10 years' time will probably be half of what it is now. And there is a lot of investments going on on autom automation, of course, but also on uh, using cheap side streams. So that, that field is developing very fast. So uh, my expectation is that the price really will come down. Come down. Excellent. Well, that's, that's good to hear, I'm sure. Let's uh, move on to Stefan's question then. Uh, the GHG benefits of protein switching with insect ingredients to animal feed. Well, from what I understand of this, uh, they are enormous. <laughs> the question is, uh, how do we scale them, which is what we've been talking about. He asks, um, could carbon finance bring additional revenue streams into insect feed operations? Um, I guess that does depend on the enabling environment and all the things we've been talking about. Anyone have anything to add there? Has anyone seen any interesting movements in that area 
notes. I'm taking silence from the panel as as, as no, unless you wave at me. <laughs> uh, Arnold, again, you want to come in on that? I'm just going to add a quick comment there. Um, I think yeah, that, that is one of the key drivers to make sure that um, insects are, are part of the animal feed chain um, to, to reduce the reliance on um, on, on feed ingredients that, that may have a, a more negative impact on the environment. I'm not entirely convinced that this is um, related to greenhouse gases um, in, in terms of, um, you know, soybeans are, are legume, it's, it's environmentally friendly in, in some respects, but obviously lends itself to deforestation. I think one of the major, major impacts really with um, insect farming will be around the, the use of nitrogenous fertilizers in particular. And we've talked about frass as a side stream. It, it, in some cases, actually the frass insect waste um, is, is a very valuable output. It's, it's not really a side stream. It could, it could very much be a focal point. And that's where we can start to think about using um, bio, biological fertilizers rather than chemical fertilizers, which will have a, a huge impact on the amount of ammonia that's produced um, and, and, and the, the greenhouse gas emissions. So I think it's the whole story. I mean, throughout, throughout the whole of this, we've, we've, we've linked together different parts of the, um, of the, the, the food economy in particular. Um, and that, that's really the story with insects. It, it really does, does close all the loops. It's a very much a circular story from fertilizing the land to producing a protein that can be fed to animals that we can eat. So it, it's a real far, farm, to fork, um, farm to fork story. Great, thank you. So if there's nothing else to add on this point, I shall move on. Good to see uh, Glenn Rankin's comment. Thank you, Glenn, CEO of Yora Pet Foods, largest black soldier fly pet food brand exporting to 27 countries if you do say so yourself. Uh, and uh, your insects are provided by Protix in the Netherlands who feed a substrate which meets all regulations. Well, thanks for the slight sales pitch, but also interesting to know what you're doing, Glenn. Thank you. Perhaps if you want to follow up, uh, Glenn, the question, uh, perhaps tell us uh, where you're meeting constraints on growth and what suppliers uh, of, of, uh, of pet feed might do uh, I suppose you would just say buy more of my product but if you have uh, a question around unlocking some extra value here or solving a problem do let us know and, and congratulations on building that business well done now um, let's try and find some other interesting questions here uh, David Horlock uh, always got something to say thank you David could we could we not start bioconversion bioconversion using safe food residue such as waste from fruit juice processing processed vegetables processed grain residues brewers grain bakery operations etc and i see see here that andrew swift who's ceo of pharaoh's saying yes provided it's traceable because domestic restaurant and plate scraps are not so of course food waste traceability as discussed earlier to a certain degree a vital factor here anything the panel wants to add on that that sounds like an interesting nuance we could discuss Anyone, just sort of wave at me if you want to say something. Okay, Arnold. Well, it, it depends what you want to do. Um, if, if biodegradation is the aim, you can use manure, you can use catering waste, what they do in China, for example. So no problem. And But then you have to decide what are you going to do with the larvae. And uh, I, I just published, uh, I think yesterday or the day before yesterday, an article on non-food and non-feed uh, industrial applications. So the proteins, you can make bioplastics of it. Uh, you can make, it was mentioned already, you can make biodiesel. Uh, you can use uh, insects for the cosmetic industry. So there are a lot of non-feed and non-food applications as well. But it's the aim, what do you want? Do you want to biotransform or biodegradate? 
Thank you. Very interesting. Anything else to add on that bit, anyone? No, you're not waving at me, so I assume not. Andrew Swift, thank you. Thank you, Andrew, for putting in a really interesting comment, which I'm not going to read out. It'll take too long. But I, I, I recommend you have a look at that in the Q&A. I think that's very interesting. We will capture this and, and try and circulate some of these great interventions alongside the audio of this. Uh, but I think that's a really interesting point uh, that he talks about. Um, stimuluses and incentives and getting to scale so thank you for that Andrew we've got about eight minutes left um, we've got some questions here about human consumption of food but we, we did say we were going to talk about animal feed so I'm, I think I'm going to focus more um, on the animal feed side, side of things um, a question here from Carlos Saviani uh, should insects be produced in tropical countries so, so that no artificial is heated uh, so our, no artificial heat is needed so the carbon footprint will be lower is that a factor i i talked to someone who was going to set up a black soldier fly factory in, in a warmer country and he thought it whilst it would be a factory it wouldn't be one of the most significant would the panel agree any thoughts so i think i can come on that because we have worked in um, tropical parts of the world and yes so there, there is um uh no no heat requirements for black soldier fly in, in, in um, equatorial regions in particular and um, you know, parts of Africa. Uh, the problem then actually becomes about the, the insects generating too much heat themselves and you have to manage that as well. So um, you know, with the, 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 the design and the engineering that goes with building an insect rearing factor, a factory has to, has to factor in all those, those different aspects of heat management and um, you know, the potential for pathogens entering, the predators entering. So there's a whole world out there of design that's required to get um, you know, insect factories working in the way that we would want them to. So I think that's one, one the, the, the energy requirements is one element. There are a lot of other considerations for designing um, the perfect insect hotel, if you like. Thank you. Arnold. Yeah, and the other problem is if you are in a, in a tropical country and the temperature goes beyond 40, you have to cool the whole thing. So. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think it's a great factor, really. Yeah, air conditioning black soldier flies does sound like a step too far, doesn't it? <laughs> in, in almost any situation you can think of. Um, a question um, just on the regulatory side for you, Adrian, while, while it's in front of me. Julian Parfit is asking, given that a DEFRA decision might be slow to arrive on the use of insect protein for poultry and pigs, would UK producers be able to export to the EU from a regulatory point of view? Um, another Brexit opportunity, perhaps, is it, Adrian? What do we think? Um, again, it probably takes a little bit more consideration than I can give it now, but I, I wouldn't see there being a, a massive issue if we can get um, the export licences in place, because the, the insects can be legally sold in Europe for, for pigs and poultry. Um, so it would be about getting the, the right export licence from the UK. And also, you know, there's the... the insect rearing side of things as well, making sure that the waste streams are permitted and, and all of that. But if, if it's a legitimate business that's aiming to sell to Europe, then I don't see there being any huge regulatory barriers there. Okay, thank you. Well, there, there is an opportunity then. Um, although, of course, I'm sure they'd rather sell to both uh, both regions. Uh, so I'm just looking here, at trying to avoid the more complicated questions here. We've got some pretty, pretty technical questions, which I think might take us down uh, down an alley or two so um i'm just 
looking at the well, question here from Edgar Bottle, that's quite interesting. Soy and corn protein hydrozylates have found their way into feed for several species. Do you think further processing in insects could make it easier in some diets? Now, that question sounds interesting, but it may make more sense to you than to me. Anybody have any thoughts on that? I can take that one if it needs to be. I mean, hydrolysates are governed under different legislation, so um, it almost certainly would make it easier to, to get around some of the, um, the re regulatory hurdles. So hydrolysates are basically the protein being digested down into its constituent peptides and amino acids, um, the individual building blocks, um, but you would, you would lose some of the nutritional quality of the product by doing that. But certainly um, hydrolysates, it, 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 it ameliorates a lot of the risk um, by, by digesting the protein. Thank you. Sorry, you wanted to come in, I think. No, I was just going to ask for a bit of clarification, actually, and whether because the, the way that Adrian answered that made me think that I possibly misunderstood the question, because I, I wondered if it was about the fact that, that some of some, you know, there have been writing about, there's been some uh, articles about the the impact of, of using certain feed in, in poultry, like soy, for example, if people are, have, a, um, have allergic reactions in certain diets, and I wondered if it was anything to do with that, but I think maybe I'm, I'm, I'm not right about that. But, um, but, but maybe, maybe soy is a, is a, it sensitizes people in, if it's used in animal feed. Yeah, it's clearly a very complex area that gets quite science, deep, deep science in certain areas very quickly. Interesting question here about the prospects for small scale producers. So I was talking to someone a while ago who was thinking about could they set up black soldier fly production near where it was needed in a kind of modular protein on demand model, which I thought was really interesting. And then we sat and talked about all the challenges of doing that. Um, and it's it's an idea that hasn't yet, I think, been put into full operation. But it seemed like, some, you know, there's some interesting business model thinking out there. Cindy, what are your thoughts on this? Are we going to have some, you know, an opportunity for for smallholder entrepreneurs, however we refer to them in this space, uh, or is it going to be more kind of big, big ag industrial that, that dominates in the future? What, what, what are your thoughts? I think big ag industrial always dominate, but the opportunity will exist for um, smaller entrepreneurial uh, black soldier fly hotels, if you will, because um, there are the producers, uh, especially the ones in the United States, where sometimes they're their um, production is already spoken for. So we have to wait. And the more uh, producers of that product that there are, the, the more the cost will be driven down. So it'll become more attractive to use it. In, and, and once it's approved, it would be more attractive to use in all kinds of species, including animal feed and, and treats for all kinds of species there. Great, thank you. Well, it's been a fascinating discussion. We're almost at the top of the hour. I'm going to turn to you, Sarah, for some closing comments. You know, BSI is the reason we're here today, really. I mean, we have the platform um, and the community, and we, we try and get these messages out about these discussions as widely as possible. But without the, the partnership support of a group like BSI, obviously it'd be difficult for us to do that. So thank you for, for making this conversation happen. We all owe BSI a round of applause for the last hour and I think we've all learned something. I certainly have. So all right, let me turn some closing turn to you for some closing comments really. What would you like to happen as a consequence of this, this discussion and others that we're having? We we're doing a round table discussion about this in a more in-depth way at the end of June. Just just run us through what you'd like mm. to see uh, and then we'll, we'll close out. 
Well, I think, as I as I said um, earlier, a, a lot of what um, what standards bodies do to support um, industry and to support markets to to trade more effectively is is to to sort of help conversations to develop in such a way that that everybody can get on board and that that things will you know that the profile is raised that, that education and outreach can happen and people can learn more about what, what, what you know, about the science and about the possibilities and the opportunities. So I think what I'd like to see is that the conversation should continue and that that we could maybe um, formalize it a bit more and uh, to in order to create more discussion as to a you know potential for proposing you know, initial pathways into standards to support what's already there in practice and in regulation. Um, so that that would be what I would like to see. And so so, so the more people who want to, you know, the more experts and people involved in the industry and in, uh, and stakeholders around it who, who want to get involved in, in this conversation, I'd highly encourage them to, to do so. Thank you. And um, some of you might be intending our roundtable that we're doing on this at the end <clears> of June. Arnold has clearly pointed out there's a huge amount of resources out there if you want to learn more uh, and we'll try and share some of those links and of course Fira and others are doing a lot and of course you now know where to turn to for your pet food uh, if Cindy's allowed to export from, from the US or in the US you can certainly purchase it there so thank you all for your excellent contributions it's been a, it's been a fascinating last hour as mentioned you will, you will all get an audio recording of this um, and we, we'll try and capture the chat and and relay that as much as we can so that um, the, the insights there can be shared. In the meantime, though, we'll let you all get back to work. Uh, and thank you all so much for your time and your engagement and your great questions. And we shall be back soon with more on this and other subjects. So do keep an eye on innovation forums, newsletters and websites. But thank you all so much for now and goodbye. Mm -hmm.